Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Today's episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast is brought to you by the NBA Store. You know, Nick, the NBA season's back, man. It's exciting. Uh, Knicks are in the playoff chase. Uh, right now would be the five seed, which is crazy. Uh, the Nets are out of it. So my dreams are coming true. It's fun to watch the NBA being back, man. It's fantastic, man. I love it. Yeah, it's a quick turnaround for the season. I'm excited to see all the storylines and get the games going again. Yeah, it stinks though. Just uh, we can't, we you know, can't be able to get to the games. We're still watching it now, so it's still, still a little hard. Yeah, no, it sucks. But you know, look, just because we may be sidelined from going to the arena doesn't mean we can't watch the games from our couch in style. And we're teaming up with the NBA and Podgo to bring our listeners seventy five percent off on select items. Did you hear me, Nick? Seventy five percent off. That's a lot, man. That's awesome. That is crazy. But head to podgo.co backslash MBA right now for up to 75% off select items from the MBA store. That is podgo.co backslash MBA. The MBA, where amazing happens. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. Got a special episode for everybody today. Uh, we're going to be speaking in a little while with uh, author Ish Verdusco. Uh, he's also a social media marketer formerly at LinkedIn. He's worked at Snapchat. Um, so he's worked at a bunch of different places. But his new book that's out is How Successful People Get Ish Done. Uh, play on his name and he, he it's a seven step framework to how someone can achieve their goals uh, so it's a very interesting topic that we're going to be speaking with ish about tonight um, but first before we get into our episode uh, obviously nick and i are taping tonight uh, january 6th and today's events that happened in the capitol in washington dc uh, were you know very troubling for our the majority of Americans, and it should be troubling for a lot of people out there watching and, and seeing the events that unfolded. Um, obviously, today was the day that Congress was uh, going to uh, count the Electoral College votes and certify Joe Biden as, as 46th president of the United States. And that kind of got disrupted. And even as we're taping this episode right now, Congress is still in session um, talking about the objections uh, and the different uh, issues that are going on with that. Nick, uh, what, what did you make of today and, and you know, what, watching the events unfold and play out today? You know, it's a, it's an, it's a mix of emotions. Um, I was up last night, like many people, um, you know, seeing, you know, just paying, just watching the returns come in for the Georgia runoff. Right. So I was up till about one in the morning. So, you know, saw, um, you know, the like the projection for um, Reverend Warnock to defeat uh, Kelly Leffler. Um you know, and when I went to bed, you know, Ossoff was a down about 3,000 votes this morning. You know, he took the lead by about 10,000 as DeKalb County had come in. You know, all the returns are coming in. So, you know, you got that one feeling there as to the Senate about to go to 50-50 with soon-to-be Vice President Harris being at the signing vote. And on the flip side today, you have what happened in the Capitol, which was essentially nothing short of a coup. 
you know, about 30 minutes after the vote for the certification for Arizona's electoral votes had been presented to the floor. Because as we all know, each state basically, you know, they put the electoral votes out there, no objection, you move forward. As we all guessed, Arizona being one of those contested states, that's when the debate began. Uh, and you saw comments from Senator Cruz um, and some others who were just openly questioning this process. And I know Senator Cruz was asking for some commission to be created, um, right. which I just heard the senator from Oklahoma say is very likely not to happen. And I think he was one of the 16 people that was you know, going to object. Um, and I think with today's recent events, that's going to change. Yeah. But the, you know, what we saw today was an, was an attempted coup. Not a successful one because there's no military presence. This isn't uh, what you've seen in you know other countries. This is just citizens that, um, and there's a larger conversation to be had about the ability for them to get into the Capitol building and and really not oh, yeah. get the kind of treatment that other protesters would get you know, at the hands of the police department. Right. Uh, but they've been all rooted out, and now the vote goes back to both uh, houses of Congress. Yeah, you know, we just we wanted to touch upon it at the top because, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer said something in his comments tonight that I thought was pretty impactful about today, probably being another one of those days that will live in infamy alongside, you know, December 7th uh, with Pearl Harbor and September 11th with 9-11. Um, it's like you said at the at the top, the, the mix of emotions, because, you know, the lead up to this, right? Everyone knew what day this was and the president had been tweeting about this day and there had been already talks of, you know, protesters coming to DC. Um, and obviously, you know, we know a few people that live in the DC area. You know, we interviewed Sabina Rodriguez, who's a reporter for Politico that it, uh, was not up on the Hill today, but in DC at her home. Um, so it's a little bit troubling to see something like that unfold at the nation's capital. Even the police officer that we had on uh, in the recent episode, he patrols the Prince George, Maryland area, and his department had gotten summons to help out, um, with, you know, with some of the crowd control. So there's the mix of emotions there because, you know, you know, personally, people that are living in the area, working in the area, and also work in law enforcement in the area. Um, but then there's the other part of it, right? Um, the the actual congressional issue playing out, you know, and, and, and democracy, uh, that's kind of being played out before us right now. And I think Nick and I, in the coming weeks, we're going to try our hardest to, you know, put together an episode, you know, with, with some experts from a historical context, because today is unprecedented. You know, this is, this has never happened in, in, in over 200 years of a storming, you know, of our, our nation's capital uh, and some of the buildings by protesters. Um, and also like, like Nick, like you mentioned, right, the police response, you know, the, the, we, we could analyze that from various different angles with other, you know, uh, police uh, experts that, that, that have worked or patrolled in the area as to why there wasn't more security, you know, everyone knew that this was taking place and, and there was a preference put on obviously, you know, making sure the senators and House of Representative people were safe. And then that's why property was kind of like not guarded. But um, either way, it's it's such a crazy day. Uh, it's a day that we probably never thought we would see in American history. And, and it happened and it played out before our eyes. And we're going to devote some time to an episode in the coming weeks uh, regarding all of this because it is it's pretty hectic. But let me shift gears to tonight's guest um, because I think tonight's episode – 
um, and the guests that we have coming on is really fantastic. Ishra Dusko uh, learned about him recently through a social post. And like I mentioned at the top, he's a social, formerly a social media marketer at LinkedIn. He's worked at Snapchat in the diversity and inclusion section of trying to get more, you know, people of color working in the tech industry. And then he's recently written a couple different books. So one, a social media playbook on like how to maximize your social media. Uh, and, but then also this recent book, you know, how successful people get ish done really looks at, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours of successful people, the Kobe Bryant's, Oprah Winfrey's, Michael Jordan's, Bill Gates of the world and, and the how, how do they achieve their goals and how do they continue to set new goals and really, uh, you know, uh, sustain that, that, that level. Um, and I think it's really interesting what, what he's been able to put pen to paper and, and uh, publish with this book. Um, Nick, I know you've had a chance to read the book as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Ish's book and his story overall? One thing I like about this book is is the level of research. Um, it's funny for you know, anyone here who's watching this through video. You know, some of the books that are, I think, the general tone of the books that Ish speaks to are sort of like littered on my bookshelf, <laughs> and I've I've read them for a variety of reasons, both personally and professionally. But um, a lot of times, what you see in common with those kinds of books is this idea that you're collecting anecdotes. You know, these different stories of people who do you know who are successful. What Ish does, which I thought, which I appreciated, was you know applying some of the elements of neuroscience that that are part of this conversation. It's actually, if you had to blend the books, it's it feels a little like um, you know Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, but also combined with Good to Great, you know by um, you know by I forget the author, author's last name, Jim oh Jim Collins. So you've got that blending of like sort of business and success in that field with also the neuroscience behind it. Also coupled with that storytelling practice that does work well in these kinds of books. Uh, and Ish does a great job of basically taking the heavy lift off all of us <laughs> to read all these different texts uh, and just kind of give it more of a, uh, more of a how-to guide. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the things that I found interesting, and again, since I've been following him on social, but even that he mentions in the book about the, the ability of, of learning, right? Whether it's through podcasts, whether it's through actually reading. And, and like you said, the neuroscience behind it. Um, there's a lot of psychology in the book uh, that he points to from different psychologists uh, from um, across the landscape. And so it's a super interesting topic. And um, also, one of the things he speaks to about Nick, you and I obviously know this personally being people of color, um, you know, the diversity part, right? And one of the th reasons why he said he wrote the book was doesn't see a lot of people that look and sound like him writing about this subject matter, right? And the psychology of, you know, how people achieve these type of goals and maintain this greatness. So very excited to talk to him tonight. And uh, we just can't wait. Quick break. Uh, Nick, you know how big of a coffee drinker I am, right? That I do like. I am too. Yeah. How many, how many cups do you drink a day? Uh, it's somewhere between like 24, 30 ounces. I'm, yeah, I'm French press. Chemax, I'm, <laughs> I can't calculate that. All right. Well, let's say we have three cups of coffee a day, right. two of us, right? Now, yeah. let me ask you a question. Would you like to make a difference with that cup of coffee? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. If anything, I can do more than, than drink. And it sounds like you're talking about contributing in a different way. That's right. Well, uh, for example, how do you feel about ending child hunger with your cup of coffee? 
if I could do so through a cup of coffee, I'd be blown away by that. Well, listen, let me introduce you to Free Lunch Coffee, okay? They're on a mission to end hunger from the lives of underprivileged children. So when you buy one bag of Free Lunch Coffee, you're also providing 10 meals to children in need. And Free Lunch Coffee, they give away 50% of the money they make to end hunger in the lives of young children. I mean, how cool is that, Nick? That's amazing. It's great. And beyond being a fantastic cause, Free Lunch Coffee, they have great coffee that is specialty grade, certified organic and fair trade. I I recently purchased a bag of the coffee, use it here with my K-Cup machine with the special cups. Um, It's it's really good. And not only that, they offer 100% money back guarantee for 30 days. So if you don't absolutely love their coffee, they'll give you a full refund. You keep the coffee too. You got nothing to lose. Yeah, so they have some amazing mugs and tumblers on their website. Uh, and remember, for each purchase from Free Lunch Coffee, you're still providing the 10 meals to the children in need. So you could buy the mugs and the tumblers, and that's still going towards the great cause. If you go to freelunchcoffee.com right now, they're offering a 10% discount to our listeners. So just type in my name, M-I-K-E, at checkout. Check it out, freelunchcoffee.com. All right. Joining us now, as we mentioned earlier, uh, he worked in social media marketer at LinkedIn. He's worked at Snapchat, uh, but he recently wrote a book. It's called How Successful People Get Ish Done, a seven-step framework to achieving your goals. And that's Ish Redusco. Ish, Mike Leon, Nick Zavari, uh, thanks for hopping out with us tonight, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, it's great to connect with you all finally, and I'm excited to be on the show. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you coming on. You know, I was telling you off air this, you know, I, I connected with you on social media about about something else. And your story just kind of spoke to me, obviously, you know, being a Latino. And just tell our audience a little bit about yourself, like your upbringing. You know, I know you grew up with Mexican parents in Southern California. Like, just tell everybody, our audience, a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing. Yeah, of course. Uh, so again, thank you for having me. So I'm from Southern California. My family is Mexican, Mexican American. Um, actually just had dinner with my grandmother. She, uh, it's only speaks Spanish. She doesn't really speak much English. Uh, very traditional, uh, like Mexican grandmother, you know? Um, and so I, I moved a lot growing up. Uh, I would say, I think I moved like 12 times by the time I hit high school. Um, 12 times. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, but just moving from like, you know, apartments to living with family to living with more family to other apartments and then finally landing a house and then trying just to like slowly but surely move up the ranks in terms of like socioeconomic background um, so that, you know, me and my, my younger sisters didn't they didn't grow up in like super cutty, super rough areas. My mom was always looking to try to, you know, elevate us and push us down the route of education and um, not being like out in the streets or doing dumb stuff, um, even though it was available to us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved a lot growing up. Uh, I went to high school out in the Inland Empire. So uh, Ranch Cucamonga, if you all know where that's at. Um, and then ended up going to college at UC Merced. So UC Merced is a really special place because I think it's somewhere around like 50 to 60% first gen college students there. Uh, so the first in their family to go to college. And it's really, really amazing school. I always like never have an opportunity to give them a shout out it's a really cool place um but yeah that's a little bit overview of like where i'm from how i was like growing up you know we we, my mom had me at 19 years old so she was a very young parent trying to figure things out as she was growing up i give her all the credit in the world for doing everything that she did to you know send the foundation for me and and who i am today um and super grateful for every life experience that i've had Uh, i guess one more thing that i'll highlight and then we could jump in the interview 
is uh, when I was 12, about to turn 13, uh, my dad actually passed away. So that is one major life moment that I always like to highlight, um, just because it's probably the, the most life changing moment that I've ever had, you know, and it, something from that moment forward, uh, kind of changed the way that I look at the world. And uh, just my mental framing of how grateful we should be just to like live life. And that mental framework plays a role into everything that I do. And you see it in my work online, you see it in my character, you see it in um, the way I present myself, just because I have that vision of like, wow, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm even alive right now because tomorrow really isn't ever granted. Um, I'm gonna make use of every single moment I have every single day and do the things that I enjoy doing and help people like me, you know. You know, in your book early on, you know, you talk, you you mentioned a little bit about, not a little bit about, you know, these different cog, different cognitive phenomena. I think is one way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, and one that came up to me was around narrative bias about the stories that we tell ourselves. Um, yeah. Just, just kind of, you know, just sh sharing for a moment. Um, if you can just expand on that, just sort of, you know, what is that power of story of narrative storytelling that we tell ourselves that we share with the world and um what is it what role did it play for you and just in you know the way you sort of see yourself and um your own growth uh but what is that concept yeah so the internal narrative that we have is one of the most powerful things um that can uplift us or tear it to the ground um i believe it's and from all the research that i've done from all the successful people that i've studied um it's one of the differentiating factors that puts them apart from everybody else. Um, if you can imagine that internal monologue that you're always having when you're taking a shower, when you're like waking up in the morning, uh, when you're going on a walk, when you're driving, there's always that internal monologue. That's, that's you know, thinking a million different things. And one of those like series of thoughts is how we see ourselves, And uh, the, the way you see yourself and the way you talk to yourself in your head and even out loud in your actions and the way you present yourself formally to others, um, that eventually becomes true, whether it's good or bad. Um, and so I think tying it back to my story at a very young age, losing your dad, um, moving around a lot, always being the new kid on the block, I could have gone complete opposite and said like, my life sucks. I'm a loser. Uh, all negative, all bad things happen to me. And that, that would have made my life true from that point on. I, I would have been tasked with bad luck because I would have been looking for bad luck. I would have, you know, found every bad thing in my life, whether that's like, you know, not having the flashiest clothes or the shoes or the phone. And those little things would have started to make myself think poorly of myself, you know, started to put myself down over time. Luckily, I, I kind of went the other way. And uh, um, I think it's because of my grandparents and my parents as well, um, they, really ingrained like self-love and uh, also just like treating others with respect and being grateful for like every little thing that we have. You know, like my grand my grandparents from both sides of, of my family migrated here about like 30 years ago, for, no longer than that, like 40 years ago. So when they came, all they had was like their five, six, seven kids and they raised them on their own. So when I heard those stories growing up, it was really difficult for me to have that negative self-talk about, about myself um, because I, I always had something to compare it to. It's like, I can't talk shit to myself because 
my grandma literally had nothing beans and rice you know like the typical immigrant story like i can't say that i deserve the new sidekick or the new iphone or these new jordans or i can't talk poorly about myself when my grandma was over here looking at life so positively and she literally had nothing you know so long explanation but yeah the the, the things that we tell ourselves eventually become true because they're it's extremely powerful it's that broken record player that keeps on playing and you find actions in your life to make that broken record player true if that makes sense ish you know there's a bunch of different topics uh, in the book that you cover and one of the things i found interesting and i i quoted the passage that you said something in respect to nowadays it's not about acquiring and learning the info but it's about valuing and interpreting the info mm-hmm. i think that that sentence is so apropos for what is going on in today's world, uh, especially in the realm of politics, journalism, but it's also happening in education where you're seeing that it's like, what are you learning? And it's like, no, shouldn't you be like interpreting what you're learning? I would love for you yep. to expand more on that phrase and, and, and why you put that in the book and kind of what it means to you. Yeah, that, that saying or that, that passage is so, uh, near and dear to my heart, mainly because I should have mentioned this during my upbringing part, but I wasn't a, a great student growing up. Um, and when you look at, I don't know, from like third grade to even college when I graduated, I wasn't like the straight A student, not even like, I was maybe like a B student in high school. Um, but the issue that I always had with school is I didn't like memorizing things just to be able to prove to somebody that I was able to memorize it and regurgitate it back to them. Um, when you look at the subjects that I really did poorly at, it was, uh, you know, reading, history. It was like English and history were the two main ones where you had to go memorize something, act like you acquired the information, but just short term, be able to regurgitate it back on a test or on a quiz or exam or whatever, and then get a certain grade for somebody to tell you you are smart. And then you basically forget it moving forward. That's not fully understanding information that's temporarily acquiring it. Um, And that's kind of my issue with the traditional educational system is like we grant people and we grade people and we reward them based on the ability, most of the time it's based on the ability to memorize. Um, And that doesn't play out in the real world. All three of us on this call know that, you know, you can't memorize something and go tell it to your boss and, and, you know, you keep your job in the long term. That isn't, that doesn't work. You, know, you have to be able to fully digest what you're, what you're being taught and then put it into action, which helps you understand it even better. And then you become smarter or better at whatever it is that you're doing. Um, but, you know, growing up and you're not told that you're the best student or the smartest student because you're not able to do these things and memorize as well as others. And I learned English and Spanish at the same time. So, my my it would it would show itself in my writing you know I would always do weird tenses where like it's future tense but it should be present tense or past tense or stuff like that um and when you look at my my story now it's like I wrote a book I work at all these amazing tech companies um you know like I've DJed around the world and my ability to be able to memorize things like the traditional school system says you should did nothing to help any of that you know? 
know, the educator in me gets excited when you talk about that because, you know, I think we did an episode on education and, you know, Mike asked me a bunch of questions. And, you know, one thing I, I always talk about is, you know, Bloom's taxonomy, you know, that framework of you know, on the lower end about education is about this concept of recall. But on the higher end, we talk about synthesis, you know, and talking about actually like practical application or analysis. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you sort of speaking to that. I'll connect this to what we talked about with narrative, narrative bias earlier. So as yes. a student, there was a story you're telling yourself from what you were just sharing about what is the system of education you are currently in um, to the learner that you are now. Along the way, how did you disrupt those stories that you were sort of hearing around you from, from teachers and just the world that you were in as far as, you know, who you are, quote unquote, as a student to actually what is your learning preference and the learning and your style. And because um, you in your book talk about the, you know, the power of learning and how to be more aggressive about being intentional about it almost on a daily basis. So how did you disrupt yeah. that story? What's the new story that exists for you as a learner? So I, I did I don't think I became um, great at learning until my early 20s, which is crazy to think of. Um, you know, when I was in high school and middle school and even most of college, um, when I, when I truthfully 110% honestly reflect on myself during that time of like going to school, I, I went to school and I got decent grades however I could um, by doing a ton of extra credit by like, you know, cramming before tests as much as I could. But I don't think that makes you great at learning. That just makes you really good at being able to like figure out these hacks to memorize. Like, you know, if there's 10 quizzes, practice quizzes, I would take them 10 different times just to get really good at trying to like take those quizzes. Um, so that did nothing again to, to my ability to like absorb information. Um, I will credit one person. So when I was in ninth grade, um, I was again, not great at reading or writing. And there was one of the, I was on the soccer team and one of the baseball coaches, like everybody on the sports teams in high school kind of like knows each other. It's like a community, you know? And he was actually an uh, avid, avid English teacher. And avid was like, uh, this is a program that helped students go from like maybe uh, decent reading or decent like ninth grade reading to like more advanced. So like to fast track to the AP classes basically. And he pulled me aside one day and said, like, hey, Ish, uh, I know you're struggling with with some of your classes. I've talked to, like, your, your teacher, I think you said. And he's like, I, I would love for you to join my class. And it was really weird for me because it felt like I'm the dumbest kid in this class already. And you want me to join a smarter class so it could be the dumbest kid in that class? Like, what, what do you mm -hmm. see in me? I didn't ask him that. But reflecting now on that time, just somebody be, being able to believe in you when especially in a subject where you tell yourself that you're not good at or the system itself has proven that you're not good at it. Um, that gave me like a level of self-confidence that I didn't know I needed, but I, I genuinely did. And going back to answer your second part of your question, I didn't become an active learner. I didn't go out and seek knowledge um, until my early twenties. So again, in college and in high school, in high school, I was very active but all in like clubs and activities, ASB, sports. I did three or four different sports, swim team, soccer team, et cetera, right? College, exact same. I went to school so that I can do all these different activities, you know, like planning concerts, playing sports, 
um, uh, you know, internships, business clubs, all that stuff. So I found fun and energy by building and creating things. I didn't find fun in the schoolwork itself, which is really bad to say. Um, but it wasn't until I was like 22 or 23, and I write this in the book, maybe 23, 24, is when I stumbled upon my first self-development book. So for the first time since maybe I had read Harry Potter when I was like 12 or 10 years, 11 years old, I picked up a book and read it on my own without anybody telling me that I had to, without anybody forcing me or telling me that there was a quiz tied to it. And it made reading and learning so much fun. I've read that book now like 10 different times. The book is called Smart Cuts by Shane Snow. Um, and it's very like, it's an, one of the best books that I could recommend. It essentially breaks down how like very successful people, especially like in the elite, elite successful people are able to fast track their way to success. So if it takes 20 to 30 years to achieve a certain thing traditionally, they are able to flip that, flip that narrative on its head and say, how can I do it in five? You know, if it, if it traditionally takes you, I don't know, 100 hours to complete something, how can they do it in 10 and do it twice as good, basically? And that just blew my mind. You know, when I was reading this book, I found myself just absorbed for the first time. I don't think I read a book in all of college or all of high school, even though, you know, there's books that we're supposed to read. I would just read the cliff notes or I would uh, watch the documentaries or watch the movies and try to get by with a C plus or whatever I could, you know. Um, so I'm happy that I found learning later in life or like now better than like way later in life, I guess what I'm trying to say. Right. Ish, um, one of the things I learned in the book, and I, I was telling my wife this earlier today, and by the way, we should mention Ish just recently got engaged. So he's I did. Yes. <laughs> joining the club soon. So I know that feeling as my wife looks at me and uh, <laughs> it gives me a smirk. Anyway, um, but one of the things I learned in the book that you mentioned about Jennifer Aniston and how she still is taking acting classes at this advanced stage in her career, winning an Emmy, winning a Golden Globe. So your book really analyzes the how, right? Like how do mm -hmm. these people stay on this path of success. You did all this research. Who's that one person that you felt, and I know you allude to Kobe a lot in the book, but like, who's that one person that really just had it, that drive to like, just continue to get past that goal that they set, or even like set the goal, achieve it. And then next goal, next goal. Like who was that person, that one person that you feel like had it? There's a, there's a few people. Um, and if I couldn't mention everybody in the book just because it would have become, you know, like a regurgitation of a bunch of different stories and it wouldn't have had any cohesiveness to it. So I, I purposely didn't include a lot of people. And I also wanted to tie my personal story in there too. And I didn't want to be too confusing. Um, but one person in particular, he's, I call him like my distant business mentor. He just has no idea who I am, but I've analyzed his story a hundred different times and know everything about him is Rob Deerdeck. Um, so if you, you guys, a lot of people know him from ridiculousness, you know, he's MTV's yeah, face, yeah, you know, yeah. he's DC, he's a big person to help, uh, DC, the, the shoe and clothing brand blow up, um, fantasy factory, Robin big people know him for like the persona of who Rob Deerdeck is. Um, but when you look at where this guy's from, he's from like the Midwest, you know, a tiny little town, um, not a skater town at all. It's not like he was born into uh, the route of success or the route of fame or the route of Hollywood. Um, but he, his entire life has figured out ways to like overcome the odds. He in high school dropped out 
and still became like one of the most successful people today. And I think him in particular, I, I really respect the way he moves and the way he operates because it's not like there's an end goal for him. And, and I think that's a commonality that you find with a lot of these successful people is like they set these goals, they achieve them and they just keep on moving the goalpost every single time, you know, um, his story is really cool as well because when he first came out here to California, I think he was like 17 years old, 16 years old, not even an adult yet, and still figured out like how to move and how to get sponsorships, how to build his brand, how to build his business uh, uh, acumen so young. And now when you look at his, his empire and what he's done, he has his hands in like 15 different things. And he's able to pick one thing in one business area, pull it and use it in another area, which I think that in itself is a skill that a lot of people don't have and aren't able to do, you know. Today's episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast is presented by Kind Bar. Kind is deeply committed to crafting food with real, recognizable ingredients, a disruptive notion that sparked the creation of a new healthy snacking category. Kind is unapologetic in their efforts to challenge the status quo, to shift the food industry, and empower their community and our listeners to make better, informed choices about health. Kindness can be a transformative force for good, and that is why we are teaming up with Kind and Podgo to bring our listeners 10% or 15% off for military, teachers, students, first responders, doctors, and nurses. Go to podgo.co backslash kind. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O slash kind kind bar creating a kinder and healthier world one act one snack at a time something we've asked a lot of people that um have graciously come on the show is about um just lessons along the way your book itself is sort of a summation of this but um (laughs) what is what's a lesson that comes to mind for you that that helped you in your growth and development that at the time uh felt small um maybe not so impactful, but over time you look back on that and say, wow, that, that kind of really um, just exploded the equation for me or just changed my thinking about these um, larger themes I encounter. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I recently did a commencement speech for my alma mater, UC Merced. And at the very end of the speech, I included what I'm about to share with you right now. Um, it's, it's almost like a, a mindset, like a mental framework again, like I do a lot of things. Um, that I, that, I, that I tell myself, an internal monologue that I've told myself, and I picked it up um, probably about like six years ago, seven years ago. Um, I picked it up early on in life, but I didn't know that I picked it up. It was something that I picked up through my grandparents and seeing them you know, come to a country where they don't speak the language um, and still be able to make a living and more. You know? But the, the, the internal monologue is essentially like, just because people like me um, or like us like people from underrepresented groups uh, don't work in a certain industry or do a certain job or do a certain thing doesn't mean that people like us shouldn't or can't do those things and be really good at them. Um, So when you take that, that internal monologue or that mental framework, and now you look at everything that I've done through that lens, write a book, be the first in my family to write a book. How many Latino self-development authors are there? I, I can't name not even five, you know, um, work in tech. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the tech industry is, is not diverse, you know, <laughs> um, for the listeners who might not know, there's, I think about 5% uh, 
uh, Latinos in the tech industry and for black, it's like three or four, three or four percent, you know, so to, to be able to work in an industry where it doesn't represent people who look like you or talk like you or come from your background or first generation or whatever, that's extremely difficult. But to be able to have that mental framing going into situations, it's like almost like a can do attitude on steroids. Like, Hey, you know what? It's okay. I got this. I'll be okay. Like, this is a place for me too. And I'm going to pave the way for other people behind me to continue it and do the same. Um, so that's probably one of the most powerful things. And I'll carry that to, to the grave, basically. Ish, um, by the way, well said. As somebody who works in the tech space that is Latino, and my dad's also in the tech space. So I had somebody <laughs> kind of to follow behind his footsteps. But you're right. Very underrepresented, uh, not only our community, but the African-American community as well. Um, but I wanted to ask you, it's a new year. Right. You write about this in the book about New Year's resolutions, which something I didn't even know that 80 percent of people give up on their New Year's resolution by the second week of February. Right. You make yeah, February. To, you make a reference to James Clear about people are like the sum of their habits. Mm -hmm. Why do why do people give up? Why do people give up so easily on certain things? Why do you feel that is and obviously there's obviously factors within their life. But why do you feel that people always tend to give up so easily? I think it does have to tie back to not only your habits, but your environment. So um, this will be a bad example, but I'm going to say it anyways. Let's say you're trying to quit drinking, right? And you are for most of your life, you've not been an alcoholic, but maybe you drink casually on the weekends and it's become a habit. It's Friday comes around, you had a stressful week, have a glass of wine with your wife, have a drink, go out to the club when there's no COVID or whatever, have drinks, everything's all good. And let's say all of a sudden you want to quit drinking, but your environment has been so uh, encouraging for those habits that it almost alienates you to not do them, to not do that thing, right? So now if you've developed a group of friends who expect you or not only expect you, but when you want to meet up with them, that's where they're going to be at the bar, at the club, or in environments where alcohol is going to be present. Again, not trying to say that alcohol is good or bad. I'm just, for an example, it, it'll be really, really difficult. Like it's going to take more than willpower to, to like say no every single time. You need to change your environment. And I think a lot of people understand habits at a very skim level, but don't understand that it's 10 layers deeper than just the habits that you have. You know, you can, you can rid your entire closet or like your pantry of all the alcohol. Um, you can tell your wife, or your partner, whoever lives with you, don't let me buy any alcohol. That'll be like step one. You set the, the first layer of your environment. But now what about the social environments that you're around every Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Or when you go to a dinner and everybody else around you is going to be drinking or whatever, it's going to be really hard. So eventually people do crack, you know, because you've built a habit for 10, 12, 15, 20 years of your life. And now you're going to try to break it all of a sudden. So, uh, so rigidly. It, it takes more than just like understanding how you built the habit. It takes like supporting it with the environment and the second environment and the third environment, and maybe even cutting out certain friends who push you to, to do bad habits, you know? And the same thing for other news resolutions. You know, if your your news resolution is to work out, well, is there, a, is there a metric? Is there like, you're trying to work out X amount of times a year? And what are the factors that are gonna be in your way of you achieving that metric? You know, is it your schedule? Is it your work? Is it the fact that you don't have a gym? 
Um, and then, you know, then all the excuses come up like, oh, I don't have a gym, so I can't do it. Or maybe you get some, some weights and you work out at home for a little bit. And then you start to tell yourself like, these are kind of boring workouts. I wish if I had a real gym, then I would keep going. But because of that, I'm not going to. So you don't, and it's actually that, that what I'm, what I'm trying to allude to is the last step of the framework, which is support groups. So you can get your habits down, which will get you through the door. But unless you have that final part of the framework, which is your support groups of people that are going to push you through and keep you going and hold you accountable, then it's very easy to say, you know what, F it, I'm going to just forget it. You know, I tried, I gave it two months. I gave it two months more than I've ever done. I'm good. Thinking about, you know, your soon to be status as a husband, and you're thinking about the framework that, you know, that you articulate in your book, um, where do you see yourself growing and developing? And I say this as a person who's now about to be married for, this will be our seventh, this will be our seventh year, actually. Um, Congratulations. So I think constantly about how do I, thank you. Like constantly for me, it's about, you know, growing and developing as a husband. And also, you know, I have two daughters too. So I, I come to you with that question too, you know, coming out of this, uh, out of this uh, book you've provided to us. Um, what, do you, what do you see as this framework as it applies to yourself as a soon-to-be spouse, others who are um, recent spouses, soon-to-be married and the like? Yeah, that's a great question. So the good thing about frameworks, especially frameworks like the one that I laid out in the book is um, you can use them for anything, right? You can use it for uh, landing a job. You can use it for becoming a better professional, starting a business, losing weight, um, and becoming a better spouse. So this is something that I've thought about a lot, actually. And uh, to walk you through a couple of layers in the book, and obviously you guys know a little bit about it, um, I plan on using a lot of what I write in the book to become better in areas that I'm currently not very strong at. Um, to give you guys a little bit more clarity or more insight as to myself and my personality, I'm an extremist. And that can usually 90% of the time be pretty good when I maneuver it in a certain way, but it can also be my biggest weakness. Um, to give a little bit more context, I enjoy work. I enjoy working. I love the work I do, which makes it doesn't it doesn't makes it not feel like work and I get engulfed in everything that I do. But for a spouse or for family or for kids, that probably is not the best thing in the world, right? Um, you want you need that that time. Even if the time is optimized to be completely distraction free, you still need a, a certain amount of time to develop and build a relationship. So I found on using the framework in the book to not only find su support groups and find mentors and find, um, I've already found a couple of people who don't know who I am, but I analyze how they move in their relationships and I pick up a lot of advice that they give. That's one, one of the, another one of the reasons why I admire Kobe Bryant and I admire Rob Deerdeck and I admire Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's just like, not only are they beasts when it comes to business and life, but they're also really good at like, sharing a full 360 view of, of who they are and they try to be good people or Kobe Bryant rest in peace like a good father and show like you can be a beast on the court but I don't know if you guys know this he would always make it to his kids like uh birthdays birthday party it didn't matter if he was like on the other side of the country he would like fly just to make it to that birthday party and then fly back while the rest of the team is probably partying out in the club celebrating like that is phenomenal that's beautiful so when i have studied these successful people especially like men 
um, I try to take bits and pieces and learn from as well. So I, I, I plan on using the entire framework to be not only a better spouse, but eventually like a better parent or a good parent. Ish, we're going we're gonna to let you get out on this last question because I, I have found in talking with different people, especially in the, in the tech space, the television space where I work in, there are some people that are out there that are like, you know, I'm achieving moderate success. I'm, I'm staying in this lane. I'm doing everything the way I want. And I don't really care if I advance or, you know, if anything else happens, I've got a secure job. Why, why mess up the Apple card, right? So what would you say to people, especially let's say someone is interested in buying your book, right? And kind of learning and let's say they want, kind of want to push themselves, but they don't know how to. What, what, what would be your advice to people that are kind of like stuck in that rut? Or maybe they, they don't know that they could achieve this and get to this place. And right now they're here and they've only seen that example throughout their entire lives. Yeah, that's a really good question. There's like six different ways that I want to answer it, but I'll try to go this way first. So in order to know that you can achieve, you need to like self-actualization, right? You need to know that you can achieve and you need to know that something's even possible. So for a lot of people who maybe grew up in rougher areas, success for them is like making it out of that area. You know, that that's what success means is like maybe buying a car, buying a house for their parents not knowing that there's so much more that they can achieve, right? So being able to have some layer of uh, comparison, I guess, in a weird way, it's not the best word for it, but being able to compare to something like, hey, there's so much more that I can do is step one, I think. And then step two, what I would do, um, which is actually the first part of the framework in the book, is a little thing that I call self-concept. Um, when I studied all these successful people, like one of the first things that I found or the most common thing that I found in interviews and people that speak about them is so-and-so is successful because they're so self-aware. And this word drove me crazy when writing the book because I don't know if you guys have ever tried to, but try Googling how to become self-aware. You don't, there's no way to become self-aware. There isn't there isn't like an exercise. Self-awareness as itself, as a, as a term, if you look it up, it actually means being able to look in the mirror and understand who that person in the mirror is. You know, try teaching that to a 10-year-old, you know, become more self-aware, mijo. Like, okay, that's confusing as hell. Now, how am I supposed to become successful if I can't even become self-aware? And that's the first step this, this person told me to do, you know? So in the book, I basically say like, self-awareness is a term that's thrown around so much what we actually mean when we throw that word around is self-concepts, which is a psychological term. And self-concepts, there are a lot of different self-concepts that we have. Some of them that I break down in the book is who is your past self, who is your current self, your present self today, right now, and who is your future self? You have to be able to look at, at your identity or your persona in different segments and different pieces, because then is when you can actually um, break apart who you are and the things that make you tick and why you are the way you are. So for example, when I did this exercise, I've learned so many things about me because I was able to analyze my childhood and I talked to my parents and I talked to my grandparents and my aunts and my uncles and my cousins, people that knew me better than I knew myself at the time or better than I can remember. And what happens is you start to find trends like, oh, I realized when I was 12, I really liked doing that thing. For me, it was like selling and marketing and branding. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I really enjoyed doing it. You know, I like going to the swap meet and like 
uh, trying to get like bargaining, basically trying to get Pokemon cards for cheaper price. I thought that was really fun. That's not like normal, you know, but to be able to identify that in your life and say like, oh, that makes sense now why I like selling, why I like branding, why I like marketing. It makes sense. But unless you do this exercise to like break apart who you were in the past, who you are now, what makes you tick, what makes you happy, what makes you excited, and then what you could be in the future, which is, goes back to the what I mentioned earlier, um, then you're able to start your journey on like figuring out, well, what goals should I set my, for myself? You know, um, I think in the world of social media right now, it's also really dangerous to, to put other people's goals and aspirations upon yourself just because everybody's so out there. So by doing this exercise that allows you to become a lot more clear on like, what is it that I truly want to do in my life or my situation or given my immediate surrounding, my, my, my family, you know, um, that's what I would do. It's a really, really deep exercise, but I mean, if people don't want to buy the book, you can just do like Google self-concepts. Um, but I lay it out in the book and that's the first step of the framework. And then the following is like how to achieve a goal, set a goal and actually like crush it to make sure that you don't give up after two months. Like most people do. Yeah. Ish, man, we really appreciate having you on today. Uh, go get everybody, go get his book, uh, How Successful People Get Ish Done, uh, Seven Step Framework to Achieving Your Goals. You could check out Ish, follow him on, on social media. He's on Twitter, he's on Instagram. Um, Ish, I really appreciate it, man. Like I said, your story really connected a lot with myself and Nick as well. And we wish you all the best, man, on the engagement. And thanks again. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. All right, that was Ish Verdusco. Again, his book, uh, How Successful People Get Ish Done, a seven-step framework to achieving your goals. It's out now. You can head to ishverdusco.net uh, and purchase it or check it out on Amazon. Uh, Nick, I, I really, like I said at the at the top and even with Ish, uh, you know, just connected with his story because obviously being Latino and, and, and coming from a household like that. Um, and I know what people in, you know, in the tech, product space kind of look like they don't they don't look like us and so his story kind of spoke to me and he's doing things on his own almost like in an entrepreneurial sense you know writing this book and and, and giving out free advice online uh, what you what you make of ish overall yeah just it's there's a bunch of things that come to mind for me um because i was blown away by just how personable he was i mean the story he tells in the book is fantastic and the framework is you know just really usable and applicable um but in that conversation that felt just like just three guys just talking about our respective life experiences you know for anyone who reads this book and i would highly recommend that you do get it i have it on ebook mike's got the paper version or hardcover behind them um and what he presents is this very personal story for him, coupled with um, just some really powerful life lessons into a framework that you know we can all use. Um, I just really enjoyed. It. I really enjoyed just the different spaces he took us into. Uh, you know, the educator in me, you know, always gets. You know, I sort of jump up on my seat when he's talking about him as a student and what he noticed about what was asked of him as a student <clears throat> and. What did that mean in terms of a definition of learning that really didn't apply to him? And I would argue doesn't really apply to most people these days in the 21st century. Um, and he owned it. And you could even tell it's like it sort of sat with him like I wasn't a good student. And like the department's like, no, it's not you. There's <laughs> a larger problem at hand. But his journey as a learner, just that in isolation, um, 
was fantastic. And then talking about um, your soon to be a spouse uh, and just what does that mean in terms of like that life change? But how does the framework connect to that? Um, very interconnected, very personable. Yeah. Just an amazing conversation. Yeah, no, it was a really great conversation. Um, for those of you watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Uh, if you're listening to us on your audio podcast, um, hit the subscribe, follow button wherever you listen to us. You know, we're available wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends about us. Check us out on Instagram at Can We Please Talk Podcast. Check us out on Twitter at Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. I'm Nick Severi. We'll catch everybody next time.